Welcome to Empower Humans. Welcome again to the Empower Humans podcast. This is episode 58, my friends. And today we have a wonderful interview with the incomparable Mitchell Levy. He can be reached, by the way, at Mitchell Levy. That's M-I-T-C-H-E-L-L-L-E-V-Y 360-360.com uh, or ahathat.com. This is a TEDx talk veteran. He's accomplished something that uh, a lot of people, just with the TEDx talk, plus tons of other things. And we get into, I'm not even going to get into so much right now, but we talk about becoming a thought leader. We talk about uh, credibility with authenticity, vulnerability, uh, integrity, all these important key components to contribute to all that. Also, that people do business. He, he talks a lot about people doing business with those they know, like, and trust. And some of his products and services that he provides to a whole slew of people, especially upper-level business executives and so on, people writing books. But he gets into all of that. He, he even helps ghostwrite books for those who uh, maybe, as we all are, strained on time. We talk about confidence. We talk about perfectionism, all kinds of stuff to really loosen ourselves from the handcuffs that we put on ourselves to stop us from taking action and making things happen. And he has an incredible set of principles and some interesting story behind how he got to where he is. And uh, he's coming to us from Cupertino, California. And uh, here I am traveling. I happen to be in Utah at the moment, uh, also at a hotel, just like last week. So again, my apologies, any any noise or different acoustics, echo, whatever it might be. But uh, great, great interview. And I think you'll enjoy this one. I want to remind you, as always, our valuable, valuable audience, you are absolutely priceless. Don't forget that. Don't forget that the riches are in you. You're more valuable than anything and everything materially you see around you. We are so much more beings of light than all that. I'm not going to get into all that right now, but you are absolutely priceless. Don't let anyone convince you otherwise, and don't you do any convincing of anyone else otherwise. Let's love each other, and uh, as a reminder, attached to that, you're never alone. So don't get lost in that delusion that you might be alone because you absolutely are not. And we're here. Contact me. Contact friends, neighbors, family, whatever the case might be for support system. Uh, maybe maybe therapy and counseling help in any particular situation. So I uh, just want to remind you, you're priceless. You're never alone. Our challenges, as always, study, keep studying. This is one of the things for Mitchell in our interview here. Uh, he talks about coming to a place where he understood the value of that and really gleaning the right things at the right times from the right people and uh, molding a message for the right audience with the, the right content and so on. And so we can learn from people. We can learn from content that's out there, books, videos. There's so much content out there. Uh, go listen to audio. That's one of my favorite formats, audiobooks. Uh, you get so much uh, value there, and you can do it when you're doing other passive activities like driving or exercising or doing the dishes and so on and so on. So study, keep studying, and uh, also make great moments. Make great moments for yourself, for others. Love is a verb. As an action item, continue to do that. I know I constantly am saying these things, but I just I think it's worth constant reminders as we do these episodes. Make great moments. Making great moments revolves around people. So make great moments. And the last thing, of course, as always, let's keep doing this podcast together. This is episode 58. We're moving towards 100 and 1,000. So stay with me. We've got all kinds of great content and material coming out and uh, some other things I'm going to be offering you as well to just bring great, great value. And uh, I want to, of course, thank you for your time and, and energy to join us. That's flattering for me. Enjoy this interview with the one and only Mitchell Levy. Privileged to be here with Mitchell Levy, who is TEDx veteran, giving an excellent TED Talk. I've listened to it a couple times, and uh, for me, like I say, it's a privilege to be here with you. How are you doing today, Mitchell? 
I'm doing fantastic. Thank you. Great to have. <laughs> great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. It's always a pleasure to have a great guest like yourself. And do you ever go by Mitch, by the way, or is it just Mitchell? Uh, you, you can call me what you want, but I won't respond if you call. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I, I prefer I prefer Mitchell. Yeah. Okay. See, for a long time, my name's Phil. I used to just go by Philip, and then all of a sudden, I was doing telemarketing for a while. And I found Phil was just quicker. And uh, no offense to anyone who everyone hates telemarketers, but anyway, so people's names sometimes evolve. But now, Mitch Mitchell, excuse me, I'm just playing. Uh, you're. Oh, I could be Mitch Mitchell. There we go. Mitch Mitchell's a good Mitch one. Mitchell at one point in time. It's yeah. like it's like Zig Ziglar, <laughs> our good old friend Zig. Um, now, where did you grow up, by the way? Because you went to, I understand, University of Miami. Did you grow up in Florida, or where are you from originally? No, I grew up on the East Coast. Oh, okay. So, so born uh, New York, born in New York, uh, spent lots of my uh, formative, although I don't think I was informed very well, uh, my formative years in New Jersey. Yeah, okay. And then uh, ventured down for better weather and <laughs> so on, ultimately for college, sounds like. but Actually, uh, the, the, I applied at one location. I was really uh, not a good high school student. I kind of kind of woke up in college and I applied at one location. It was the University of Miami because my grandparents at the time were living in Fort Lauderdale and it just seemed, hey, it'd be kind of cool to be by them. Yeah. Well, there's no argument with that. That's a great idea. <laughs> Spend some time with the grandparents and get an education while you're at it. Did you... Uh, now, there I, we go. This TED Talk you gave is, is uh, extraordinary and you talk a lot about marketing tactics and all kinds of stuff. And, and since we're on the topic of your background, you talk about divorced parents. I come from that too. Lots of folks do these days. So uh, I'm sure there'll be a lot of common threads out there. Uh, I think you and I came from kind of opposite situations where I was with my dad, which was unique back in the 80s, and uh, you didn't have father figure around. How did that kind of play into things, if you want to elaborate as far as... Because you talk about male oh, role model. So, yeah, but my mom was remarried twice. Her Her third husband is now... Uh, is now dad as far as 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 far as I'm concerned, but he oh, okay. he came into the picture when I was 18, so I was off to college uh, when that happened, and and so the mom was a school teacher. Mom had three kids. Uh, she had a townhouse, and as you can imagine, school teachers don't get paid a lot, and having yeah. three kids are a lot of mouths to feed, and so mm -hmm. we were. Although I didn't know that, uh, we were below the poverty line. Mm. And although mom did a, a really, and, and so, oh, by the way, she was also doing that while she was getting, going to college, getting her master's degree to increase the amount of money she could make. And, and so uh, she was a superhero, yeah. right? She yeah. was, she was mom. She was dad. She didn't make us feel that, you know, that, that we were poor just because every Tuesday we had sloppy Joe's and every Wednesday we had hot dogs. That was kind of cool as a kid to have those types <laughs> of foods to eat. And I didn't realize till later as we, we ate that cause that's about all we could afford, but I never knew that. Yeah. And so mom did one thing that was, that was really uh, other than probably the most important thing any parent can do for their children is to give love. Yeah. And, and, and in addition to that, the one thing that she did is, is, is basically say, you could be and do, you could be whoever you want, you could do whatever you want. And so there was no limitations mm -hmm. when I entered the workforce of who I could be and what I can do. And, and I think part of that, every place I went, everything I did 
serendipity laid her hand on me mm. and, and sort of presented an opportunity. I said, yes. And so every place, uh, everything I've done has had an opportunity, a present that was handed to me and I saw it. And maybe if mom didn't do what she did, that I wouldn't have seen it. Yeah. yeah. Now, so that's, that's the plus, that's the plus side. On yeah. the downside, I just didn't have, I didn't have anyone who was in the business world. I didn't have a business mentor. I didn't have any so positive male role models. Right. And so that first, that first role model I had was my first boss after I got my MBA, my first boss uh, that I had after I, when I started working and he just happened to be hedonistic and, and very, uh, <laughs> narcissistic. And, mm. and uh, one year with him taught me a whole lot of bad things in terms of, uh, ways to uh, deal and address and interact with other people. Yeah. And, and, and this is kind of what I, what I, uh, what I've been thinking about post or, or in preparing for the Ted talk the the thing that I kind of recognize is, although I only stayed with him for one year, he stayed with me for 13. Mm. And, and, and so it took me a long time to sort of completely divorce myself of the negative habits that he instilled in such a short period of time. And, it, and like I said, it was only because I was so hungry for that male role model to tell me how I should act and what I should do and things that are valuable and how do people who are successful in business do things. And yeah, yeah. that would be the, that's the one thing that was sort of missing that I absolutely made sure that my son had the opportunity to, to at least have all of that foundation in place. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It's funny in life these things, you have seeds planted and sometimes it's hard to, once the tree grows, so to speak, to <laughs> to correct things, but it sounds like over some time you were able to correct some some bad teaching, bad example from this other role model. But uh, yeah, so you you had some struggles there, but you had a, a great, supportive, loving mom who didn't let you know you were below the poverty line and gave you a high class cuisine with sloppy joes and hot, <laughs> hot dogs. That as a kid, of course, that like you say, that's uh, that's high class cuisine, and and you were eating well. You know, you were as far as you knew. <laughs> Yes, we were. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we were. <laughs> did any of did any of these experiences kind of uh, aside from your mom saying do what you want? Uh, you know, I've heard several versions of that with different parents of go do and be whatever you want, just work hard, treat people right, that kind of thing. Um, outside of that, did anything in particular feed you this direction of becoming? And we'll get into this. Uh, you call yourself the aha guy, and this whole thing of uh, what you're doing, lifting people. Um, any specific kind of turning points or books or anything that kind of led you that down that path? You know, what was, what was interesting, I think sort of, as I alluded to, I, I was not a good student in high school and my first sort of set of mentors, uh, which unfortunately I wish social media was around when I started college because I wish I knew who these two women were, but there was these <laughs> two beautiful women uh, that were in the dorm with me and, and I wanted to hang out with them and they wanted to hang out in the library. And so I hung out in the library <laughs> and, and by being a guy who wanted to hang out with gorgeous women uh, gave me the, what they ultimately gave me was the gift of studying and the gift of wanting to, to learn and grow. And, mm-hmm. and so it was really fascinating. Um, 
I spent a, some, uh, the first semester with them and then the second semester. And then post-summer, I completely lost touch uh, with them, but I didn't lose touch with that habit, with that desire. And, and so that was, that was really putting me in the right direction. And what happened at the University of Miami is I sort of cracked the code. Mm. The code was, what, how do college teachers teach? And it was really interesting to me. So I, I ended up getting two B's and the rest A's my first semester. I got one B, the rest A's my second semester. And the rest of my college career, I got all A's. Mm. And, and the code was that typically what happens is teachers want to be looked at well and evaluated well. And, and on day one, when they talked about their courses and they were talking about how excited they were about what we were going to learn, if you ferociously took notes and paid attention to the subtleties, forty mm-hmm. percent of what was on the final exam was talked about on day one. Mm. And I'm sitting there and I'm looking around at every class and I'm I, I, I occasionally I'd look up from my note taking and I'd I'd actually look around and people were like just sitting there just, you know, half falling asleep, you know, eyes glanced over and I'm thinking Guys, this is it. You're, you're, <laughs> boom, yeah, that's yeah. a test question. That's a test question. That's a test subject. I'm like, what are you doing? And, and, uh, what was shocking to me and, and also beautiful is when I went to grad school, the benefit of grad school, I went to an, I got an MBA. The yeah. benefit of grad school was the answer was not in the back of the book, mm-hmm. which I kind of learned in undergrad. The answer could be whatever you want it to be. You just need to justify it. Right. And so when those two things came together, I'm like, oh, I see the world differently. And when I got my first job, what I ultimately ended up doing is I, I would see things. And this is one of those things I'd say I'm, I feel really bad that I speak one language. That language is English. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I speak engineer, I speak sales, I speak marketing, I speak exact, I speak customer service. And so what was really fascinating from all the time I worked at corporate and particularly the stuff that I've done, you know, as an entrepreneur starting in 1997, I've always seen that there were two groups and let's say just marketing and finance, two groups are supposed to talk to each other. Yeah. And one group would say one thing and the other group would say something else. They were absolutely saying the same thing, but they both, because the terminology and approach was different, they were not communicating. So I always turned out to be, that facilitator that helped communicate between two groups and that help as a global project manager to help different groups move along. One of the funnest tasks I had and another great learning lesson mm-hmm. is I ended up going to Sun Microsystems. I spent nine years there. Wow. And the first job at Sun, I was, uh, I was doing financial IT. And, and this was way back when, and unfortunately companies still do this today, the company was running on spreadsheets. And so we had all these financial operations people at, at different areas of the globe. They would all take their spreadsheet and, and, and send it into corporate, and corporate would roll it all up, and then we'd know what's go, going on. My job was to find a software product, mm-hmm. put the software product in place, um, figure out the processes we were utilizing today and then go around the world and train all the financial people how to use this new platform. Yeah. So yeah. what was really fascinating was a, a delivering the product. It was a beautiful thing to be able to do on time because mm-hmm. you know, every project, the scope keeps increasing. 
So the scope kept increasing, and I still delivered on time. But the fun part, and this was really interesting, Mm -hmm. was I started training in uh, Silicon Valley. So it was, I think, Mountain View, California. Mm -hmm. I then went to the East Coast and did the training there. I then went to London, from London to France, France to Germany, Germany to Hong Kong, Hong Kong to Japan. Oh, wow. And what was really amazing, so technically, I'm training the same people. It's the same job title, the same pay grade mm-hmm. across the world. Mm-hmm. But every group of, pe- every, every set of people, every group, they, they would do things differently. You know, California, a little bit more free-spirited. You could say what you want, but people would get stuff done. East Coast, East Coast, this was a time where a liquid lunch meant going out for two martinis. Mm-hmm. And if, if I didn't go out with them for lunch, I, could, I didn't hold their respect in the afternoon. Mm. Went to the UK, it required two pints of beer. Mm-hmm. Uh, France, it was, it was wine. We drank wine in the company cafeteria. Figure that. The, one of the things that was most relevant when I went to Hong Kong and, and then mo- more particularly in Japan, in Japan, you know, you, the training cycle would be, hey, this is how we do stuff. This is how it gets done. This is what we want you to do. Do you understand? <laughs> and yeah. in other parts of the world, the, the a yes meant yes, they understood, or no meant that they didn't understand and it was time to, to, to give a different angle. Mm-hmm. Particularly in Japan, yes, I understand that. Yes, I understand that you answer, you asked me a question. So yes, only meant that they heard that I asked them a question. And once I realized that, I had a completely change. So day one was kind of a flop on training. Day two, I had to completely transform things so that I could make it more experiential so I could actually see if the learnings were, were taking place. Mm. And I think, so to, to, to answer your question, and by the way, no one's asked me that question that way, so this is a fun way to, yeah. to talk about it. The, my life experiences and opportunities were one in which I get to see that different people process information in different ways. And if you want to effectively communicate, you've got to present the information in a way that either present the information or, or have people learn the information or have people actually go out and create it so they can learn it. But yes. you had to do things in a different way so people would actually grab it. Yeah. And, and so that's sort of, that, that was, those are, that was great learning opportunities for me. Yeah. Well, and it sounds to me too, as I glean some things from what you're telling me that you learn to kind of uh, be very observant and adjust with the particular culture or uh, because you talk in your Ted talk about your audience and we can talk about that in here in a second about kind of adjusting and creating the right content for the right audience and so on. And so you were doing that city to city in various nations <laughs> as you discuss here. Uh, and so it's probably made you quite kind of a, uh, I don't know the word chameleon or something to be able to adjust uh, as you go. And you, you've kind of trained yourself to do that. Sounds like. Is that, is that kind of, am I correct? So I want to, can I, can I, can I say yes? And and I'll also (laughs) say, I think I got it. I think I understood it. And then starting in 2018, I, an opportunity presented itself where I said, Oh, and and it was like another really tremendous aha moment. Mm -hmm. And, uh, one of the things that happened, so if you don't mind, I'll tell you that and then we can go back. Okay. Sure. So, 
what happened is in 2005, I started a book publishing company. We published over 800 books. And between 2005 and 2017, uh, when we've done over 800 books, what I could honestly say is I served the wrong audience. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the proper question is, well, Mitchell, what took you so long to find that you were serving the wrong audience? And, and the answer was I was sticking on the model that I wanted to deliver what I wanted, right? And what did I want? I, as a business person, I wanted to make it as easy as humanly possible for somebody to write their own book. And so I just kept doing it easier and easier. And in 2016, the end of 2016, I uh, ended up doing a uh, Kickstarter. It's for the platform, a social media enabled ebook platform called Aha That. So I did a Kickstarter that hit 250% of goal. So let me tell you how you do a successful Kickstarter. If you want to do a successful Kickstarter, you take a service or a product you offer in real life and you're offered at a discount. Mm. I know that sounds really simple, but that's what we did. 20 people paid us that when they wrote their book, we'd publish it. So what was interesting is, is we got to the stage. So this was, I kept, uh, and I could go through all the details, but let's just say I have four different publishing models, four different book publishing companies. Each one of them uh, approached how you write your book in a different way. And, and I finally got to the point where the 20 people who were going to write their books, I had a three-step process and it would take them eight hours to write their book. Wow. So I was thinking, man, this is as simple as humanly possible. I've, I've hit nirvana. I, 20 people bought into this process, you know, as quickly as possible. We're going to have 20 books. We're going to expand. So now we're going to fast forward a year from the end of 2016, where we ran the Kickstarter, 20 people paid us that when they wrote their books, we'd publish it to the end of 2017, where I did the Ted talk that you talked about. Yes. And it just, as an aside, when you're thinking about doing a Ted talk, right, there's no commercial stuff in it. There's none of that. You're trying to give back to the world and you're thinking about, the world in a different way. Right. So my mind was open. I was thinking about the world in a different way. And I got to see 12 months after my Kickstarter, the number of people that actually wrote their book. Mm-hmm. Do you want to take a guess or do you want me just to tell you who, how many people wrote mm-hmm. their book? You, you tell me. <laughs> All right. This is a shocker. Out of the 20 people who paid us that when they wrote their book, it would take eight hours that we publish it. Two people wrote their book. Oh, wow. I, I was flabbergasted. And, and by the way, everyone had a great excuse. And life gets in the way because, you know, they just didn't find the time. They didn't know what to focus on. They kept changing their business model. Um, somebody had a death in the family. There was always something. And and so that it, was, it bothered me enough that I went to five of the people that paid. And I said, listen, I, I, this is bothering me. Do you mind if I write the book for you? Just pay me my cost. And, and it was really small amount of money of those one person said yes Hmm. so now i say that three people at the end of the year wrote their book but let's put it a different way 17 people couldn't find eight hours in a 12-month period to do something they paid for that would be beneficial for them yeah (laughs) that was a shocker now i'm gonna make it i'm gonna make matters worse Okay. I, I went to my friends in the online marketing space. I went to my friends in the online learning space. I told them these numbers that three out only three out of 20 actually wrote their book. You know what they said? 
Mm. They go, Mitchell, you know, that's phenomenal. That's a 15% utilization rate. That's fantastic. Okay. That just, just, you know, that's not the world. I, I my job, <laughs> yeah, I yeah. have not been put on this planet to sell products that people are not going to use. <laughs> right. So no. God, I felt really bad. So that's when, what I started focusing on in 2018 is a done for you book publishing model mm. so that I can guarantee that the book will be done. You may still elect not to publish it, but yeah. if you pay me, and so this is what we do today. I'll tell you the business model and then I'll tell you the point I was going to make that, that the other aha moment and how I was seeing the world in a different way. The business model is we work with busy, successful professionals who yeah. recognize the need for more credibility but they don't have the time. So they want a book, they just don't have any time. So what I say is imagine yourself from today, four months from now, we have ghostwritten, published, distributed, made you an Amazon best-selling author and you've spent as little as five hours of time. Hmm. <laughs> so, so, so for that, we wow. press the easy button. We could dive back into that, but so that's the thing that I, that I transitioned to and that's what we're doing now. So I still have, for those people who write books, we have publishing companies and we can, we can publish for them. But if somebody wants a book today, uh, we press the easy button for an unbelievably inexpensive price. Wow. All right. So. That's interesting. So let me, let me, I had a point I want to make so we can come back to that. And, and the point was uh, how people process information. So mm -hmm. how we do that is I do a two hour, at the time when I first started talking about it, I could do a two hour interview. I, and, and the two-hour interview is to extract the genius from your head. Mm -hmm. Think of it in a different way. Remember if you, if you, in the old days, the Evelyn Woods? Remember that? You know, when, when uh, we would get a book, mm -hmm. and we'd go, oh, let me speed read it. Well, it's the Evelyn Woods speed reading. Yeah. So, so what I do is the Evelyn Woods speed reading of somebody's brain, and then my team does the writing of the manuscript. And, and the first couple books took us, you know, the two-hour interview worked. And then what happened is twice in a row, it took me three hours to do the interview. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, God, why did that happen? <laughs> and then as we're looking at some of our clients, some of them, we have a project management tool that, that makes it easy. Some of them love the tool and some of them didn't. And then all, all of a sudden I realized that there are three types of humans in the world. <laughs> there are the people who process information visually there are the people who process information kinesthetically and the people who process information orally. Okay. And, and once I figured that out, what I realized is the oral processors, <laughs> I, I needed a three hour interview versus two. And most of them don't want to use the online learning, the online uh, project management tool. They'd rather talk to somebody. <laughs> and, yeah. and so, so basically when you came in the door, you know, you would be treated differently if you're a visual processor or a kinesthetic processor from somebody who is an oral processor. And, you know, it was just interesting to me that in this latter stages of, of my career that I stole, it wasn't, it wasn't immediately natural. It was only once we started delivering client solutions that I realized that we needed to optimize around something we didn't originally do. And, and I think that's, to be successful in life, and, and it goes back to the TED Talk, you gotta know who your audience is. And by mm -hmm. the way, your audience is changing, you're changing, and the world's changing. But you gotta know who your audience is. You have to know the pain point 
you're solving for that audience and you've got to continually adjust what you're doing and how you do it to accommodate what your audience needs and what the world needs moving forward. And, and that's a, that's that was both a, a, a interesting and a, a beautiful thing for me to, to take away. Yeah. Wow. Those last couple sentences too, so much power there. A lot of what you said, a lot of power. And it's an interesting uh, idea, this, you go write the book. Uh, and by the way, if you don't mind me asking, what do you charge to do that? I mean, and this may evolve over time if someone's listening in 20 years down the road. Oh, sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, by definition, the, the price will be different tomorrow. So as of this minute, it's $12,500. Oh, wow. And, and let me tell you, I know it's so inexpensive, but let me tell you what we do for that. And this is where if you think about as I start rattling off all the stuff that we do, I've actually had, I was on the phone with a prospect and they go, Mitchell, do you realize that I paid 60,000, I'm getting half of what you do and it's taking me 14 months instead of four. <laughs> and, and my only response was, that's okay, you're getting a different product. <laughs> right, because you never yeah. want to make somebody feel bad. Yeah. So here's what happens. We produce content in a way that people want to consume it. What do people want to consume today? They want to consume aha moments. They want to consume short memes. They want to consume uh, uh, something that immediately allows them to recognize that you're an expert in your space. So we produce books which focus around that aha concept. They typically have about seven blog posts and 140 bite-sized quotes. And what we do is I have a platform, a a social media platform called Aha That. We have 800,000 users who are then sharing those quotes on social media. So you get get your content out there. What we deliver for 12,500 is the the author gets 100 paperback. And by the way, we print our paperbacks and hardcovers in color. Mm -hmm. Uh, They get 25 hardcovers. Um, We also have a Kindle version as well as a PDF and an excerpt. You're typically using a PDF and the excerpt for lead gen. Uh, we make them an Amazon best-selling author. So we use the Kindle and we drive an Amazon best-selling author campaign. We do a press release, we do a blog post. We do seven videos yeah. that, that they, you can, they can use for marketing and five social media memes. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a really, oh wait, I forgot. We don't do this in four months, but we also let the author, author read their audio book. So when you go to Amazon, you can see that they were an Amazon best-selling author. They have a paperback, a hardcover, a Kindle, and an audiobook. Yeah. It's really cool stuff. Yeah. An audiobook, I mean, that's the I mean, we podcasters can, you know, vouch for audio <laughs> as a powerful uh, means to communicate a message. But yeah, and that whole thing is just growing and growing and growing from what I can tell between Audible and all the things out there. And we talk about uh, this kind of having an authority position, you use the term thought leader in your TED Talk. Um, let's talk for a second. What, what would you define or how would you define the term thought leader uh, in you know the context of what we're talking about here for these individuals and for you yourself and so on? Oh, sure. So there's a difference between what a thought leader was and what many people think a thought leader was because it's what they brought from the past yeah. and what a thought leader is today. Okay. So in the past, when we had three TV stations, when we had five <laughs> or six publishing companies, yeah. a thought leader was the actor 
that the TV station or the movie company said, hey, here's the actor who's going to represent this genre. Mm-hmm. The thought leader was the public was the particular author that the publishers chose to write a and spend a thousand hours writing a book and being the expert, let's say Tom Peters on a particular topic, right? Or the thought leader was the band that the recording studios decided was going to be the one that focuses on this particular genre. So our thought leaders were picked for us by the companies whose job was to pay for, market, and distribute their content in the marketplace. And so because they were spending so much money doing that, because they, we as, as average humans did not have access to the same communication devices that they had, yeah. and it cost so much money, they picked our thought leader for us. Yeah. yeah. Well, now everyone has a camera. Everyone has a, everyone has a microphone. Everyone has the ability to be their own broadcast station. And subsequently, it's our our leaders are not brought to us necessarily by these big publishers. You can see their business model eroding. You can see record recording studios uh, business models have completely flipped upside down. Uh, movie companies have changed. So the today what I what I would like to say instead of using this grandiose term called thought leader, okay. I use that term synonymously with the term recognized expert. Okay. Because right, if you're in business today, what happens is who is your audience? Who do you serve? Now, a lot of people say, oh, man, my stuff is great. Anyone around the world wants it. But, but really, if you have a local geographical component, how big is your audience? Mm-hmm. Right? And if your audience is a particular city or a town or even a state, well, then in terms of being a recognized expert, you don't need to be a thought leader. You you don't need to set the trends in the world. What you need to be able to do is be recognized that with the audience of those people who may need to hire you because they have a problem, that you are recognized, that you're out there. And so what that means is you don't have to be the person who's continually originating new content. As a matter of fact, recognized experts or thought leaders of today when they share content, 80% of what they share is somebody else's. Yeah, yeah. Because when I go to when I go to, to an expert, so whether the expert is the person selling me shoes or selling me cars or selling me uh, the person doing my CPA services, right? When I go to an expert, I want the best answer for me. I don't, I'm not gonna go for the person who's reinventing tax code, that's irrelevant. I wanna go to the person who has, who has, who looks at me, has seen the type of companies and the types of things that companies like mine has done, and to be able to give me an answer that best suits my purposes based on the current tax code in the United States. Right. 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 So I want the recognized expert who's up to speed. And so I want to make sure they're well-versed with what their competitors are doing. I want to make sure they're well-versed of what's happening in the marketplace. So as a consumer of content, mm-hmm. I'm not looking for the thought leader. I'm looking for the recognized expert who can specifically address my issues. Okay. So if you turn that around, the thought leader today is the recognized expert that when somebody has a problem in your audience, they know to reach you. Yeah. So what I, the, the way I'd like to say it is I have a term I like to use. I call it CPOP. Okay. It's the customer point of pain. So if you're listening to this show, what I'd like, you to, what I'd like to ask you is what's your CPOP? <laughs> Because if you could define your CPOP, it makes it a lot easier to, def- to, to do everything else. 
based on your CPOP, you could say who are your customers and what problem do you solve for them? And based on that, you could ask questions like, well, where do they hang out? Where do they consume data? Where do they go for help? Yeah. And if you answer those questions, then your job as a recognized expert is to be at those places so that when somebody says, hey, I need a problem with, because I have a problem with this particular thing I need a solution for, that they either, let's say they go to a friend that does word of mouth marketing because they know you, uh, mm-hmm. they type into Google, their other friend, and they say, how do I solve this problem? And if they get to your website or the way we do business, if they get to your Amazon best-selling book and the title of the book happens to be the CPOP, <laughs> the the point of pain that you solve for your clients. Yes. So they, you know, your your prospects go to Google to say, "How do I solve this problem?" And your book pops up. Who are they going to talk to? Who do they think is a recognized expert? Right. You. You got a right. book. <laughs> yeah. And and the thing about having a book too, um, because I've talked to various authors and so on too, that uh, a lot of times. People, the thing with a book is that it positions you as a thought leader or, you know, your more modern term, a recognized expert. But a lot of times it's not that they're writing the book to go make a bunch of money off the book, depending on, you know, depending on who they are and and how they can position that book. But there's some real value in putting out kind of a whole flood of content, so to speak, as a book on a specific topic or, you know, aspect of business or whatever it ends up being, uh, it sounds to me like that's kind of what you're driving at, that that positions an individual as a recognized expert. Um, Well, well, you have to think about a very simple term. And for those that, if you want to watch my TED Talk, um, I do it so you could just Google Mitchell Levy TED Talk, or I'm sure this will be in the show notes. Yes. Um, What's, what's interesting is if I'm going to summarize the, the TED Talk, here's what I say. Mm-hmm. We do business with those that we know, like, and trust. That's right. Right? So to be the, a recognized expert in your space, you got to be known. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in today's world, we kind of don't do business with people or companies we don't like. <laughs> and then what's the most important thing is trust. How do you denote trust? How do you establish as a, as a individual, as a company, how do you establish credibility so people can trust you? Mm-hmm. Well, what do people do? Some people get, they go for academic degrees, you know, a high school degree, what is that by you? A college degree, a master's degree, a PhD. Think about all the time and effort people put in. What if you ended up um, getting a certificate? certification. So you, you go and you learn a specialty and you get certified or you get certificate programs or you teach or you speak. Now, of the tools, which are credibility tools, right. the best tool on the marketplace is a book. Yeah. And, and, and so here's where it's fascinating. And, and so many of us, and, and you've done, how many shows have you done so far? Uh, this will be episode 58. So I bet you that you probably have 58 beautiful life stories, <laughs> right? Because that's what life is, right? Yeah. We've done interesting things. And, and at some time when people start talking about their lives and their transition, what they did, one of their friends was going to say, you should write a book, <laughs> right? And, and 
And what they mean was, your life story is so beautiful, you should tell your, your life story in a book, because Oprah Winfrey's gonna find that fascinating, and she's gonna make you a multi-gazillionaire, but <laughs> Jeff Bezos is gonna love what you're doing, and he's gonna create a mini-series <laughs> yeah. around your life, because you're so amazingly cool, and, and the thing is, they're, they're being helpful because they're, they're saying that your life is really cool. Right. And what I say to those people is, if your life is really cool, and by the way, everyone's life is really cool, the <laughs> best thing you could possibly do is hold up your camera, press the record button, yeah. ask yourself four questions, take the four videos and post them on YouTube or post them on video, on video and say that's your life story. So you've at least encapsulated it. Right. Now, what's the book you should write? Right. The book you should write is the one that gives you the ability to immediately convey to a prospect that you're credible. So what does the prospect care about? They care about solving their problems. Mm -hmm. So if you have a business and you solve a particular problem, that's the title of your book. Because when you say to your prospect, hey, here's the title of my book. It's an Amazon bestseller. And your prospect goes, oh, I've had that problem. Maybe you can help. <laughs> yeah. And you go, yep, I think I can, but let me see. Tell me more, right? I mean, it's all about, in today's world, and this is where it's funny. In today's world, it's about, because there's so much content, so much out there, and your competitor is not just the person next door, but anyone around the world who could potentially solve your customer's issues, so what it comes down to is, is really, if you think about the, the no factor, you need to be known. Uh, let's assume that there's a hundred people which are known. Well, you have to be trusted. So how much of the hundred are then trusted? And then the most important part is you gotta be liked. <laughs> so how do people get to like you? Well, they have to talk to you. So for me personally, as much as I want my product to automatically sell like hotcakes, because by the way, in my space for my target audience, they're used to paying twenty-five to sixty to a hundred thousand for what I do. Mm-hmm. Twelve five is remarkably inexpensive for my target audience. I've got a really nice product. Yeah. The thing is, in order for them to trust me, whether it's twelve five or sixty thousand, they still have to they still have to talk to me. They still have to like me. And so that strategy interview, my sales process, uh, even though I have a, a, a nice team that does all the stuff that we do, in terms of sales, I'm the chief rainmaker, and what happens is they need to have a strategy session with me so that we could see if what they want to do would fit well in terms of what we do. Yeah. And, and that's what a recognized expert, that's what a thought leader is today. It's not somebody that hides from the world. It's somebody who makes themselves accessible to their target market. So their target market cannot just get to know them, yeah. but get to trust them and to like them and then subsequently do business with them. Yeah. Well, and, and again, a, a book is a very powerful, use the term credibility tool, but a very powerful tool on all those levels. Like you talk about in your TED talk about vulnerability and authenticity and you just mentioned some things regarding trust, regarding the no like, and trust kind of formula. Uh, why is it hard for people, do you think, sometimes to, uh, you know, I think we kind of all know the answer to this, but to, the hardest part of most things is getting started, but to actually start becoming vulnerable and authentic for, for an audience 
You know, and most people we hear this thing about uh, public speaking is people's biggest fear. So they're, you know, that's in front of an audience physically. Uh, why are people so scared of that? Even more so than death, uh, statistically, <laughs> as far as being vulnerable and authentic and being in front of an audience. Would you, can I, <laughs> given that you asked me about five or six questions in that one question, could you <laughs> fine tune your question so I could make sure I answer it appropriately? <laughs> well, yeah, and, and I'm mostly commenting on some of what you said regarding the uh, credibility tools of the book and so on. But in order to get to that place of where people know, like, and trust, it sounds like your message is people have to, and I'd agree with you, people have to become authentic and vulnerable. Why is it hard mm. for people to get to that place? And whether that's writing, because writing a book, speaking in front of an audience, speaking in front of a camera, speaking on uh, a I podcast, why I is that you. so right. hard? For, yeah, go ahead. That's what, that's what I mean. By yeah, no, no, I, I got you now. I, I, I was thinking this was your angle. By the way, as a, if you're doing interviews with people and, and uh, you're on the air and you don't understand the question, it's okay to say I don't get it or I don't understand or I don't know that answer, right? It's, that's really okay. So yeah, yeah. I, I'm just demonstrating who I am. I just want to make sure I can be of service to you and your audience. Yeah, and you're not the only one. Uh, I, I foul it up sometimes and I don't ask a <laughs> concise oh, question, oh, maybe. Well, we all do. We all do that. We get excited when you when we hear stuff we like. We get excited and we we start down the path of asking a question, and we ask two or three more before we stop talking, right? And like, and, and when you're on the other side, you're like, oh, which question should I answer, right? And yeah, yeah, yeah. anyhow, yeah. so go ahead. The what you're referring to is is when I did the TED talk, I I really spent a lot a lot of time thinking about trust, and and I define trust by three three attributes or three things that you see. It's vulnerability, integrity, and authenticity. Right, okay. Right, so if you can demonstrate to the world that, you know, hey, listen, you're vulnerable, which means if somebody asks you a question you don't know the answer to, you're, you're okay saying I don't know the answer? Like, how would you like it if you went to the doctor and you were coughing and you, and, and, and you went to, and, and you said, Doctor, hey, what's wrong with me? And, and he didn't know the answer, but instead he says, well, I think you have a chronic illness, you're gonna die in six months. I mean, <laughs> you don't want that. <laughs> Nobody no, wants that. No. <laughs> right, so it's, it's okay to say, you know, based on all the tests we run, we don't know. So we can either do new, more tests or just let it go, right? I mean, it's okay to be that. Being authentic is, is really being who you are, not being, and that was, by the way, that was my biggest issue is I was taught not to be authentic. I was taught uh, by my first mentor to, in essence, when he asked a question, I needed to respond in the way he would respond. And by the way, what he taught me was with anyone in the organization asked me a question, I couldn't answer it the way I wanted to. I needed to answer it the way he wanted me to. And that's, that, that, that actually killed me for like 13 years. Not, yeah. not a negative kill me, but that that was that was ha that was uh, the manifestation of how he st he stuck with me for so long. Wow. Um, so being authentic is when somebody asks you a question, you tell them what you think, and if the person on the other side really doesn't like what you think, that's okay. If they don't like what you think and they no longer become your friend and be your client, you have to decide that that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. Because honestly, it is. And then the most important part about integrity is simply when you say stuff like, hey, 
I'm going to be there tomorrow. I've got integrity. I'm going to be there tomorrow. I'm going to deliver this solution. And then you go, oh, I missed tomorrow. uh, How about a week from now? That doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And so when you're thinking about those three things, vulnerability, integrity, authenticity, the way the world used to work in the industrial age, which we are still many of the processes, many of the systems, many of the ways we do business today are still based on industrial age concepts, still based on the things that Henry Ford and others shepherded in in the 1920s. Yeah. And, and I would say, just as an aside, we, we may be at most 50% in the transition from the industrial age to uh, what will be the social age. And just as a shocker, the other 50% is going to happen in the next 10 to 20 years. So it took us 100 years to get from the industrial age to where we are now, which is 50% of the way to where we're really going. Wow. So if you think life has changed a lot in the last 10 years, Hold your horses because that change is going to be a multiplicative factor of 10 because we're going to, everything's going to transform. So in the industrial age, when, and let's just go back to a simple example. If I was a publishing company that was producing a thought leader, I'd want the thought leader to spend a thousand hours writing their book and be the recognized expert in the space. And no matter, and the space was really huge because I wanted to sell my books to as many people as possible. And if somebody, if somebody asked a question, it had to be irrefutable that your answer was the answer, right? There was no wrong. You could not be wrong. Mm -hmm. And so we were kind of taught that you couldn't be wrong, that you couldn't say stuff that wasn't true. And what you needed to say is you you wanted to say things that the world would follow, i.e. thought leadership. And companies like Random House and Putnam and Penguin, and these would be the guys who, or McMillan, they'd be the, the companies that would bring these thought leaders to life and bring them to the world. And, and we were taught that. And we were taught that if we made a mistake, it was wrong and it would follow us forever and we would never get a client again. And, <laughs> and that's kind of the industrial, that's how we were brought up. Yeah. And it, in today's world, it's just not that way. We, we, those, people, those thought leaders were not human. Right. They, they were made to be larger than life entities. Mm. Well, in today's world, we, we actually really want to deal with humans. We want to deal with, like when you think about, think about what happens when you buy a car, you may decide what brand you like, but you're really buying, not from the dealer, well, the dealer could help, but you're buying from the person who's selling you. Yeah. You're buying from the salesperson. Mm-hmm. And when you buy a house, it's it's really the realtor that helps, or when you sell a house, it's really the realtor, that person who helps make the relationship. Uh, you think about your, your, your kids that have gone to school, or if you've gone to school, you've got one or two teachers that helped influence you. Those teachers have helped set the direction of where you might go in life because they were passionate about their topic and you might've got passionate about it. It's, it's more about that human the social age, where we're going, is more about who do we connect with and what gets us excited and how can we live life to its fullest. And so it, the thing that's interesting, if a, if a client came to me, <laughs> so somebody came to me and wanted me to write a book about their life, mm-hmm. I'd say, no, we don't do that. But if you want me to recommend somebody, we can. Mm-hmm. If they then say, okay, how about an aspect of my life? We would talk about their CPOP. 
Yeah, what's your CPOP? What's you know, what's the customer point of pain you solve? How do you want to do it? What makes sense? And you know, we we occasionally we still have people who are stuck in the old world. So we'll do a beautiful. I had a conversation this morning with one of our authors. We did a beautiful job of taking their completely sophisticated, difficult to learn. You need at least a hundred to two hundred, maybe five hundred hours to reconstruct the framework of life that they want to share with you. Uh-huh. And we created something that you could easily get inquisitive in mm. five or 10 minutes, mm. right? That's yeah. a huge thing. But they're at the moment, they're still stuck in the old world as well. I want to teach them everything. I want to, I, I want, I want to be able to have a book that, that encapsulates that 500 hours of learning. And, and, and so it's going to take a little while and hopefully We'll get to the point where they go, oh, I get it. Mm-hmm. If I can get somebody to ask the question, why, in five or ten minutes, that's really pretty cool, or, or potentially even 20 seconds. If I can have somebody ask a very simple aha message, and it's enough to completely transform your framework of who you are. Matter of fact, I'll, I'll stop talking, but I will, before I do, I'll give you an aha message. Mm-hmm. This is from my book, Being Seen and Being Heard as a Father. And it's also the same title of the TED Talk I did. Yeah. And, and I have an aha message in there. It's, it's aha number four. It's my favorite aha message in there. And, and what it really will do is, is help you understand what a thought leader is today. And so let me share with you aha number four from being seen and being heard as a thought leader. Okay. It says, good thought leaders are at the top of the mountain. Great thought leaders are at the bottom of the mountain helping others climb up. Mm. Excellent point. You're speaking in parables it, now. That's, that's, a, that's a great... tasty, right? It's it's one of those things that in the old days, a great thought leader was at the top of the mountain and they barked orders. <laughs> yeah. but nowadays, that's maybe good. That's probably poor. I was just trying to give them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. And even in the social media world, I mean, that's what social media is all about, especially from a business standpoint. It's interacting and answering questions and and creating value, not just here is all my infinite wisdom and you better digest it and, and send me some money <laughs> kind of thing. So, so <laughs> I get, That doesn't work anymore. No, no. <laughs> and I appreciate kind of what you're saying. And even in light of what happened here where I kind of gave you a question, we didn't understand each other for a second. I welcome those moments because, and I think a lot of people do and should, and and from themselves too, welcome these moments where we're just human, where we don't have the kind of this paranoid perfectionism at the forefront. And instead we just kind of expect that little mistakes or things will happen. And uh, maybe you don't understand my question and, and I'm okay with that. And we just have a human conversation and the same thing with your I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of preparation that goes into doing a TED Talk. That must be uh, somewhat nerve-wracking. But at the same time, you're telling a story, you're being authentic, you're uh, conveying a message, and you're there at the, as you just put it, kind of at the bottom of the mountain, helping to to lift others <laughs> and not just talking down oh, to them. Go ahead. You no, know, I got I to gotta, I gotta tell you about that because there's no manual. I mean, you know, people will sell you manuals if you want to pay for it on how to do a TED Talk. Sure. There's no manuals. But, <laughs> yeah. but, but let me tell you, what I did last time and what I'm now doing this time, because I have a great, I've got a, a great brand new talk. I'm, I'm starting a new way of communicating starting on Saturday of next week. And it, by the way, you, you, you won't hear me say what month or what year, but we'll just say <laughs> Saturday of next week. So soon. Okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, 
And what happens, and what I did with my TED Talk, is so I applied for the TED Talk about six months before it was supposed to happen. I didn't hear anything for four months. Mm-hmm. And then one late Friday afternoon, I got a generic email that says, you've been selected. And I'm, because it didn't even have my name on it, I'm like, yeah, that's a joke, right? <laughs> and, and then I responded back, did you mean me? Because <laughs> my name was not, they go, yes, we did. And I go, holy moly, because I didn't even write it, right? So, so what happened is I wrote it over the weekend, because I've been thinking about it, but I didn't write it yet. I wrote it over the weekend. And then I have to tell you magic words. We all kind of want magic words, you know. We, we think abracadabra is a magic word, but let me tell you a magic word. Okay. Magic word is, I need to practice for a TED Talk, can I get on stage? So I wrote it over the weekend. I was supposed to be at a CEO networking group the following Tuesday. I called up the guy running the group over the weekend. I said, hey, I need to practice my TED talk. I, 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 I got to give it in two months. Can I practice? And he said, yes. So I got to the CEO networking group on Tuesday. I practiced. Here's the coolest thing that happened. <laughs> as, as, as soon as I was done the first time around, somebody walked in late and the guy, the guy who's running the group said, Hey, Mitchell, can you give it again? I'm like, Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, uh, a week or two later, I was supposed to be at a conference, same sort of thing. And then I was in front of, I think, 200 or 250 people practicing my TED Talk, right? And mm-hmm. what's fascinating is, although I thought it was really good when I first wrote it, every time I practiced and every time I got feedback, it got better. Yeah. And the reason why is people process information in multiple ways. So yeah. it was fascinating the first time I, I had a bunch of people who were oral processors and they said to me, hey Mitchell, you just don't have enough stories in there. There was nothing for me to grab on. And then, and then when the kinesthetic people said, hey Mitchell, that's too dry. <laughs> can, you, can you make it so I feel pain? Can you make it so that I understand why you did this? You know, and then the visual people, Mitchell, can you give me a mnemonic? Give me something that I'm going to represent. Like, they didn't say those words, right, directly. But when they, it's so funny when you hear people give feedback, if you put that lens on, you go, oh, yeah, I could see why I didn't touch that part, that audience. And so if if you're doing a talk, that's important. So I ended up, uh, the talk I'm giving in front of a large audience coming up, and, and largely what I'm doing now, just to give you a trick, I, I didn't have any public speaking scheduled. Uh, the talk was finished, uh, uh, I hate to say this, three weeks before I'm supposed to give it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't have any, uh, I didn't have anything public to jump in on. So what I'm doing is I'm inviting friends who, who I know and they have an interesting perspective to get on a Zoom call with me. Yeah. So I'm doing a private Zoom call, which I'm recording. Because I'm recording it, it makes me a little nervous. And because I have somebody else, it makes me a little nervous. And then and I do the talk, and I get feedback. And it is, it, it, I, I don't know how to say it. It's just absolutely beautiful. Yeah. yeah. A, lots of people don't mind, particularly if they're a friend of yours and they're helping you out. But it's also we, whether or not you're the 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 highest person in the organization or really the support person behind the scenes people have value and, and if you if you give people the honor of saying i want to hear your opinion and truly listen people are really smart and, and so I, I've, I've i've i think i've given it five or six times so far 
I've got two or three more next week. And it's going to be a significantly better talk because I've had a chance to practice and get direct feedback. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's why I say anything you do in life is, you know, you, you know, you may not get it right the first time. That's okay. Mm-hmm. And that's where the authenticity and the integrity and the vulnerability come in. And you go, okay, I can fix that. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, and then you fix it. Yeah. Great, great point. It, it kind of gets down to, we hear this word framing a lot. You're framing it a certain way. Like you just said, uh, the people having value rather than maybe people are the enemy and they're a threat and oh my goodness this audience everyone's going to kill me <laughs> kind of thing and that's kind of what people are thinking but that's why we're so scared I guess as as a people to, of public speaking apparently is kind of this false perspective really where people have value and you can as you just described practice and prepare and get feedback and adjust. It's the same thing comedians do. You know, they go test their material at the local small comedy club and kind of work on it for a oh, couple exactly. Right. Good point. Yeah. It's, 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 yeah. Cause if you, you, you don't get in front of a live audience. Now, here's the other part. Uh-huh. You don't hear a comedian say, Hey, can you sign an NDA before I tell you my jokes? <laughs> no. Like, I, I, I didn't I didn't say to anyone who I asked, oh, please don't share this with anyone. As a matter of fact, I had a vendor. This is really fascinating. I had a vendor call me. We talked uh, about six days ago. He wants to sell me the ability to use his platform to be able to have people text. You know, when a speaker speaks and they say, hey, text this, text this word to this number and we'll send you so-and-so. And, yeah, yeah. and then you could use a platform to do... Um, SMS marketing to them. And so he goes, send me your presentation. I go, ah, and he goes, I'll sign an NDA. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 I, I don't really, that, that's really okay. So I sent him my presentation and, and uh, I got some feedback and he goes, we can make this work for you. How about I let, give you the ability to use our platform for free mm-hmm. and here's what you get to do. And, and now, so that was beautiful by the way. And I, yeah. I appreciate it. It's, it's a beautiful way to sell. Now I have to decide, is this what I want to do, mm-hmm. right? Am I the type of speaker who actually wants to collect somebody's cell phone number and, and market them via SMS? And clearly, there are many people who do that, and it's a, an effective technique, but I get to make that decision. But I didn't, if I said, no, I can't send you my presentation, I wouldn't have at least, I, I wouldn't even been in the game. I wouldn't even have had the opportunity, right? And, and that's the... That's the thing is, the, I think maybe in the old days, when we had an idea, we, we kept it so close to our chest that we didn't tell anyone about it. Yeah. And of course, it's not about the idea. It's about the execution of the idea. Yeah. I appreciate all that perspective because it fosters confidence. And for anyone listening, we all have kind of different degrees of things we might struggle with. But I think we can both agree here for this, whoever's listening, <laughs> Have confidence, practice, frame things the right way. Don't look at people as the enemy, whatever. And not everyone's trying to do a TED Talk necessarily, but whatever you're trying to do for the world and you find your voice, uh, lift up that voice and uh, with confidence and expect to be human, not this paranoid perfectionism. And uh, there's just a lot of takeaways because we're kind of coming to the close of our time together. We could go on <laughs> for hours and do big sequels here as well, but uh one thing I did want to ask you before we wrap up, is there any kind of story behind this whole aha thing? Because you, this is kind of your, it seems like a trademark thing. Aha guy, aha that, aha blaster, <laughs> this whole aha thing. Is there anything behind that? That's just, because you talk about having an aha moment way back when, but go ahead. Uh, absolutely. Well, as a matter of fact, so, so first I'll put it in context. That last 
60 seconds when you did a summary. Yeah. You echoed, when you re-listened to that, I encourage you to, you echoed somewhere between six to eight aha messages in a minute. <laughs> it was, it was the, the biggest I've ever seen in my life. And that's, when we speak, we normally speak in ways, particularly if you're a public speaker or you're an interviewer, like here's your style, you ask questions, you allow the person to be able to respond, and then you summarize it in a framework that you feel your audience will relate to. Mm-hmm. And when you do your summary, you're giving aha messages. And an aha message is really a encapsulated piece of content that allows somebody to go, oh yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So where, where aha came from originally, I always thought it was the lightning bolt. I, I used to always think to myself is my job in connecting two different audiences was to allow that lightning bolt, that, that, that bolt of thunder where they, where they ended up shifting their par- paradigm where a marketing person could see where the finance person was coming from. Yeah. And, and what, what happened is that's one of those things that happen every couple of years. But what I realized, if we're smart and intuitive and, and accepting and, and looking for the presence that people bring us, there are aha moments that happen every day, multiple times in the day, maybe oh, yeah. tens or hundreds of times in the day, and all we have to do is pay attention. Yeah. And so, so the, the aha was something that was really, it's kind of, anytime you're thinking, if you really think through it now, if somebody says something interesting, you go, aha. And, and that's what we do. And it's, it's, it's actually, we use it now as a comma in some cases. <laughs> and what, what happened originally is I had a, I had a platform called aha, when, I, when we first came to market, it was called aha amplifier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and the aha amplifier was supposed to take aha messages and amplify them on social media. And, and you would think that term, so I have ahaamplifier.com, yeah. and you would think that term, people would know exactly what this platform did. And you know what? It, when people got there, like, well, what do you do again? Well, well, we're an aha amplifier. Doesn't that make sense? And, and they didn't get it. So I was talking to one of my super bright friends who goes, you know, Mitchell, the millennials, they don't, this aha amplifier thing, they don't know what an amplifier is. They don't come from that world. They don't know this stuff. And he goes, if I was a millennial, I'd want to say, aha, this and aha, that I'd want to have a t-shirt says, did you aha this? Or did you aha that? And I go, that's fascinating. So <laughs> I'm sitting at lunch with him and I went to the domain name services. Aha, this was taken, but aha, that was not. So we now have a registered, registered trademark for aha, that I renamed the platform yeah. from aha amplifier, which had six syllables to aha, that which has three. And it's because I'm going to have to explain what I have to do. And also explain it with a, a word that's shorter and easier to remember. Yeah. Aha. I get it now. Great. That's <laughs> That all makes sense, my uh-huh. friend. And I got to give you a good aha as we close up. Is there anything else you want to add to as we as we wrap up, uh, my friend? Oh, you know, I, if this was fascinating to you, I'll give you one primary URL to reach me at. Um, it's my name, MitchellLevy360.com. That's Mitchell, M-I-T-C-H-E-L-L, last name L-E-V-Y, 360.com. Mm-hmm. And if you go there, it will have uh, most or a lot of the social media sites I'm on, so you can connect to me there. Yeah. If you're inspired to want us to ghostwrite a book, you can watch our customer testimonial and then book time directly on my calendar. Uh, I'm excited about that. And, you know, yeah. we have tons of other sites. If you want to listen to AHA messages, go to ahathatradio.com. We stream AHA books 24 hours a day. If you want to wow. share content on social media, you can go to ahathat.com. If you want to write yourself, 
You go to ahadat.com slash author. And I can keep going on. We got tons of sites where we service our community. But MitchellEV360.com is probably the one where it's going to direct you to what's hot and what's going on today. The central hub, MitchellEV360.com. We'll put that in the show notes. There'll be a link so you can just, uh, you don't even have to type it out. Just click right on there. And, uh, well, thank you. This has been fascinating. So many great insights and uh, kind of an interesting uh, conglomerate of perspective on all kinds of levels of business and and uh, branding yourself and becoming a... Uh, a thought leader or a recognized expert and all these sorts of things. So we'll have to pick up where we left off next time here and keep going. Cause there's so much, I'm sure there's tons more we could discuss and you have all kinds of great insights, Mitchell. So thank you for your time. And my, for, go my ahead. pleasure. Yes. So enjoy. great. Thanks for having me. It's uh, I really enjoyed this conversation. Great. And for our audience, uh, as always, as we close empower yourself and power the world around you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Empower Humans. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review this podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit EmpowerHumans.com. We'll catch you next time.